conversation about the objectification of women because it happens. It happens intentionally and unintentionally in our workplaces and in our schools and in our homes and even in church. And that's why we really want to have this conversation. And so I hope I encourage you guys, like, let's try to come with open minds to like maybe listen to perspectives that we never heard before or maybe even perspectives that we might disagree with. Um, let's take this opportunity to learn and to listen and to talk with one another and to maybe come up with some positive action steps that we can take together so we can experience heaven together. Because we're not going to solve the whole big systemic problem, but we're just going to take this one little baby step. So to give you an idea of um, an example of the objectification of women and how they're sometimes missed, um, it's a personal one. But when Paul and I were married and like in the 90s, so it was a long time ago, and we had two small children, we didn't have Google. You guys, you guys are so fortunate to have Google because we had to like ask our friends and our family and like the experts and our pastors, we had to ask them questions. We couldn't just do it secretly. And so we would ask them, you know, like, what about marriage? And, you know, like having young children is so hard and we're so tired, we're so cranky. And so uh, one question, one answer to my question that was very like a theme throughout, like men and women would say this. They would say, if your wife and your husband wants to play Pokemon at the end of the day, like a supportive, loving wife would play Pokemon. Even, and they would recognize it, even if you like worked all day or were home with the kids all day and you cooked dinner and you did dishes and you put the kids to bed, like, if you want you get the cards out, you might not be into it, but you would kind of get into it and you'd be happy you play Pokemon. And then I was like, what? And then they would say like, and if you don't play Pokemon with your husband for like weeks at a time or months at a time, your husband, he's gonna wanna go and watch a lot of Pokemon movies by himself. And worse yet, if he's, you know, if he's not playing Pokemon, he might find someone else to play Pokemon with. <laughs> and I was like, I am super codependent. Okay, I will take on everybody's responsibility. I take on people's responsibility, and I don't even know I'm taking on people's responsibility. But I, you know, I was like, wait a minute. Is that really my responsibility? Like, what? What I felt like us wives were missed. We were objectified and we were totally not seen. Like, what, what about what we need and what about what we want? And so that's kind of like an example of what we're talking about. And then because they even said, like, the godly thing to do, it kind of messes with your mind. Like, wait, does God objectify me? Does God think I'm a tool as well? And so we're going to look at scripture because Luke, I know we studied Luke a long time, but we're going back to it today. Luke talks about this. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to look at Luke 7, 44 through 50. If you have your Bibles at home. Okay. Um, and I'm going to set up the passage. And so I want you to kind of imagine we're watching a movie. Okay. So as I set up the passage, imagine that you see Simon Pharisee. And you know, Pharisees are like rule, you know, they're the rule keepers. They want to make sure everybody is like following the purity laws. 
and he's he's invited a bunch of men over and it's like this small little banquet and Jesus is the guest of honor okay and so Jesus walks in and just about as like the time that he walks in this woman walks in and not just any woman like she's poor she's known to be a sinner women are invited to this party but she walks in she's totally an uninvited guest and can you imagine simon and we can kind of feel like you know we understand what simon says especially during this COVID time right like she she could be she could ruin the whole purity thing right she could just like make everything unclean and and simon's probably just horrified that she walks in he's like what is she doing and so imagine she's walking in and jesus is sitting at the table he has his arm on the table and he's leaning he's reclined his feet are behind the person to him on the right and she walks over and she starts crying okay she's like but this uninvited guest comes in she's not even welcome she's like disrupting everything and she's crying and then she lets down her hair and back then like hair was the cause of men to lust so wait she's like behind jesus she's crying she lets down her hair and she's fondling his feet and she's like pours this ointment on top of it clearly trying to seduce him and like simon is just horrified and he's disgusted all of the people are like what is she doing they're just like they're horrified and then simon in his mind his internal dialogue is like if this guy was a prophet, then he would know what kind of woman she is. She, he would know that she's a known sinner. And then Jesus, being the prophet that he is, he says, Simon, I have something to say to you. And Simon's like, what? Okay, did I say that out loud? And he's like, okay. And so he says, teacher, speak. And a lot of times, um, what are the commentaries saying that the, the Simon's desire, like he, when he says teacher speak, he's showing respect and he wants to get something from Jesus. He wants to learn. He's not like the other Pharisees who are trying to trap him. It's like, yeah, he did wrong. That woman's a sinner. She's like seducing me and you're falling for it. No, he was like, teacher speak. Like, I, I have an open mind. People think he had an open mind and he wanted to learn. He wanted to gain some wisdom from Jesus. And so Jesus tells him a story. And he's like, okay, there's a certain creditor who had two debtors. And so I was like, okay, what's going on? And then he's like, one of them owed him 500 denarii, and the other debtor owed him 50. He's like, okay. And he said, which one of the debtors, you know, they can't pay it, so the creditor cancels their debt, but which one of the debtors would love the creditor more? And Jesus is like, I mean, you know, he's asking him this question, and Simon's, like, he, he's probably pretty wealthy, and he knows what the creditor-debtor relationship is like. It's purely transactional. And he's like, what do, you, what do you mean, love? And so he's like, I suppose the one who had the greater debt. And Jesus says, you judge rightly. Like, you are right. And then he goes on to explain that... Um, the one who has had the greater debt is the one who's going to love more. And he says, this is where we go to the verse in verse 44. Jesus is like Simon, everybody in the room. 
do you see this woman? Like, they were having this conversation, so if you can imagine, the camera goes straight to this woman. He's like, do you see this woman? Do you see her? Like, she's, she's not a woman, you know, what you think has, was disgusting and so inappropriate is very appropriate. And so he goes on to explain why she did. She has feelings, she has goals, she has motives. And so Jesus like breaks it down for Simon and the people in the room. And he's like, this is what was really happening. So he says in the next, he says, I encountered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has bathed my feet with her tears. You see, commentators believe that they, Jesus and this woman, and you know, I'm kind of like, Simon has a name, but Luke, he didn't give the woman a name, but then I'm going to trust him because he is kind of a feminist. We study Luke, right? He's very, he's, he's like an uplifter of women, so maybe the name didn't matter, or maybe the name didn't detract. But here is this unnamed woman, and they think that she had an encounter with Jesus before that she experienced his forgiveness, just as he told the story of the of forgiveness of the, you know, the creditor and the debtor, that she was so like freed from her guilt and from what, all that she experienced, the socioeconomic and the, um, like all of the boundaries, right? The purity laws, everything that she, she felt so seen and valued for who she was and loved and found and just as her experience with Jesus realized like she matters, that she matters. And and that the word forgiveness in the Greek that's used, it's the it's the same word that they use for release. So there was a lot of freedom going on. I love that we spoke chains being broken, that there was a lot of freedom going on. And the reason why she was crying was just the relief of that burden of the guilt and the shame and the sin just off, right? That she felt seen and accepted, not, you know, people never saw her before. They just automatically, like she was probably missed because she was poor, because she was a woman, and because she was a known sinner. Like people tried to stay away from her, but, but her experience in Jesus helped her feel loved and seen and valued. And so the reason why she was crying was because she just felt this extravagant, because she experienced the extravagant love of Jesus. She wanted to love him in return with just such extravagance. But not having a towel to wipe his feet with, she used what she had. And so she, that's, she used her hair to wipe his feet. And then the next verse, you gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You see, greetings back then were people were either kissed on the cheek or on the hand. But she's, her extravagant humility was like, I can't do that. And so she kissed his feet, the unclean part of Jesus. And then the next verse, you did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. You see, he's not trying to shame Simon be like, you didn't do your job and that she had to do it. No, he's trying to explain like the extravagance of her love. Because it was, it was a customary to, as an uh, act of hospitality to anoint someone's head with olive oil. But she used her ointment that was way more costly. And, 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 and it was just this extravagance 
of love that she poured onto Jesus. She wasn't trying to seduce him. She wasn't a sex object. She just loved him and was so grateful for, for who he was and what he's done. And then the next verse. Therefore I tell you, her sins which were many have been forgiven. Hence she has shown great love. But the one whom little is forgiven loves little. And so he's just saying, like, she has been forgiven of so much. And that's why she, her love is extravagant. She is a person with motives. And you know what? Her motives are pure and they're good. Do I have another verse? Okay, next verse. <laughs> Sorry. And then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And all, you know, all like, and all the commentators are like, you know, she knows her sins are forgiven because, and we know her sins are forgiven because of the way that the the extravagant love that she showed on Jesus. But Jesus says this to her, so Simon and the other people in the room will know that her sins are forgiven. That this is why she did this. That this the forgiveness that we experience is is, is freedom, and it's it breaks the boundaries that that our that the culture set up. That it doesn't matter if you're poor or rich, or if you're a man or a woman. Like everyone is valued in the kingdom of God. Um, and I think when he says, "Do you see this woman? Do you see her?" What Jesus is doing, and throughout this whole conversation, he's inviting Simon to see her for who she is as a human being who was created to be who she is, right? That she has feelings and she has motives and she has goals. But he's also inviting Simon to follow her example. And in this Roman, like, oppression, like, in this patriarchal, like, do you see how crazy and radical this is for Jesus to say this? Like, women were looked down upon, they were objectified, but he's like, no, like, do you see her as a person? And do you see what she's done? Like, that is the example of what extravagant love looks like. This is how we're supposed to live out our faith in the kingdom of God. This is how we experience heaven together. So not only he wants her to see her, but he wants Simon and the other men in the room to follow her example. Like, that is so crazy. And Luke doesn't write what Simon does. He doesn't record it as he showed. He records the story, but he doesn't record what he did because he's inviting all of his readers to make a choice, just as Simon had to make a choice. And, 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 and we are given that opportunity too to have open minds, to learn, and to listen. And that's what we're going to do for the next five weeks. And we're going to be given the choice. We have this opportunity to see her and to see, like, to maybe even be like her and how she models love and how she models how to live out God's extravagant love in our worlds, in our workplaces, in our schools, in our homes, and even at Westlight. And if we can just do like one small positive step, if we can come up with that, or what, yeah, that we can experience heaven together.